I'll say this, you know, anybody who says that rock and roll is dead, they're wrong. Welcome to My Way, a podcast that shares the stories of people who are doing life their way. Listen along as we explore what works, what doesn't, and the experience that happens no matter which path we choose. I'm your host, Sunny Collins. Thanks for listening. Sunny here. Welcome to episode 29 of My Way. This is the second half of a conversation I had with the legendary South African DJ, Chris Pryor, aka The Rock Professor. If you haven't listened to the first half, just go back and do that first. And a side note, before we get started, I am reading a book right now called Hunting LaRue by author Elaine Shannon. And for those of you who listen to the podcast regularly, yes, Mike Ash, I'm talking to you, you will know that I interviewed one of the main characters of this book, former DEA agent Tommy Sendrick, who was an integral part of the elite secretive 960 group who took down the Bulawayo-born computer geek turned cartel boss, Paul LaRue. And according to my Kindle, I'm 47% in and I love it. (laughs) So that's my plug. I highly recommend the book. Now, let's get schooled by the rock professor. I couldn't have actually had or found a better job for myself because I am impossible to work with. Um, I'm a total perfectionist in the studio. Everything else Outside of the studio, I'm hopeless. And thank God for my wife. She looks after the sort of actual living side of my life and looks after me. But in terms of the studio, I'm an absolute perfectionist and have been all my working life. And for radio stations to actually, in the early days, they would try and give you or give me an engineer on the other side of the glass who would kind of look after the show as it was going out. And I would always say to them, all right, you can have one chance to make the biggest mistake that you can in broadcasting. You can even take me off air, which is the biggest sin. And I will forgive you, but no more than once, the second time you go. Well, I've got to tell you, they never found an engineer that could actually work with me. And in the end, they said, right, we're going to teach you how to run the desk yourself. And you're going to do it by yourself. I said, that's the way it should be. And ever since then, I've been a solitary person in the studio. And for many, many years, for about eight years, I had, um, I was very late night, either eight till midnight or 10 till two in the morning. So, I mean, it was would have been impossible to have somebody working with me. People hated working with me. Mm-hmm. I, I was just impossible. And I look back on that and I see why I was like that, because they just weren't doing it exactly the way I wanted it to be. Perhaps I could have been a little nicer about it, but, uh, you know, I'm a solitary person and it was just, that was the way I was in those days. And I probably still am. I mean, I'm still very much a solo performer. I'm still very much a private person. We've been here three years in the village and I mean I know and I like all the people that I've met but none of them have actually become very close to me you know and that's my fault 
you know, I don't allow people into my life all that easy, uh, uh, as as easily as, as I could. So when I say that being a DJ, a solitary DJ in a lonely studio late at night was the perfect job for me, it's the simple truth. Yeah. It was the perfect job for Did me. Did you feel like you were connecting with people, though, in your own way? Very much so. I did. And um, the reason I say that... Um, was in those days I would I was prepared to answer the telephone, in, certainly in the radio in the 80s, which was my heyday, when I was a real celebrity in this country, was in the 80s, mm. and uh, the Radio Five number was known, uh, it was out there. We were you know the station was always running competitions and so forth, so there were calls coming in all the time. So during my four hours a night, five nights a week, at least 30 calls would come in. And even though I was doing that show by the seat of my pants, because you can't pre-prepare a four-hour specialist show, you can't pre-prepare it. You've got to go in there. And the way I did it was I'd go in 15 minutes before my show started, choose my first tune, put it on the turntable, wait for the guys to go, the guys in front of me. Play that first tune, and while the first tune is playing, figure out your next tune, okay? And as the show's going along, you're writing down, I'm writing down all of the PRS details, which are the royalty details, because every tune that gets played on a radio station, somebody needs to get paid. The artist needs to get paid. The composer needs to get paid. The publishing company needs to get a few cents. You understand? So all of these details details are what we call the royalty details, the PRS details. So as I'm doing my specialist show, I'm writing down all of those details. You get the details from the record itself or from the sleeve. So that was that kept you busy. But also just as I mean, as one tune is playing, you're going to choose your next tune. And while that's playing, you're choosing your next tune. And that goes on for four hours. Well, I'll tell you what, at the end of that, you've done a job. At the end of a four hour stint, I was sweating. It was a work. It was a job, you know, and the, and one could really only do that because one was young and had the juice to actually do it, you know. Nowadays, I'd fall apart in five minutes. I really would, you know. I can't, I just don't have the adrenaline to actually run run something like that. But then it was easy. I could do it. And I could take these 30 calls a night. I would pick up the telephone. In between all of this, trying to keep this damn show on air, I would uh, chat with people, and that's where I realized that I did have listeners. There were actually people out there who were listening. And I suppose the peak in the 80s was probably about 100,000. That was probably as many as I ever managed to get. And I'm sure it's far less than that now, mm. far less. But still, it's a very dedicated core audience, and they are knowledgeable. If I play uh, a tune that doesn't agree with them, they'll let me know. But I can do? tell. I mean, well, then I don't play it again. Really? Yeah, if I realize what they're, what they're saying is true, yeah. I won't play it again. But certainly in those days, you know, because it was all new to them and they didn't understand uh, what I was doing, I would, I, would, I would heed their comments, you understand, and I would mm -hmm. sort of take them to heart and do what I could to improve what I was doing. So, you know, I had uh, a lot of empathy from my listeners and a lot of objective criticism as well, which I accepted. Yeah. I accepted that. Um, but what the point that I really wanted to get across is how ideal it was for me to have found 
this business for me to be in because I can't think of another profession that I could have done which would enabled me to work solo mm. without any assistance yeah. and still be a success. And so talk a little bit about ZZ Top. Oh, ZZ Top was one of my first big bands. And um, in fact, oddly enough, when you say ZZ Top, I was the first person in this country to play ZZ Top. Mm. That night, I, in fact, it was in my very first music show on the English service in 1978. I played some, uh, some, uh, some ZZ Top. Mm. The next day, I got a letter from the head of programming at the English service saying, please don't ever play that kind of music again on the English service. So I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, I've been playing ZZ Top ever since. Yeah. But a uh, great rock band, great rock band. And um, they, I mean, their heyday was in the 70s, no question. The 80s music isn't as good. and there, But there have been occasional tunes from them, but certainly their 70s. And in fact, for me, the 70s were, was really a great era yeah. for music. And I just was so fortunate to have come into this business at that time mm. when it was all so fresh. You know, so when I played Ricky Lee Jones, again, I was the first one to play Ricky Lee in this country. You know what I mean? I was just, I was really early on the scene. And I think that's what's given me half my reputation was I was just, I mean, people call me a legend. I think what what it boils down to is you just got to live long enough to become a legend, yeah. you know? Basically, I've just been doing it for so long that people in this country, at least, know me very well, mm -hmm. you know, those specialists. Mm -hmm. I personally feel that I've provided something of value to South African broadcasting. So then how did, uh, how did Grayton come into your life? Um, you know, we worked all our lives. We, we were very busy in Johannesburg and we lived there for, I guess it must have been 30 years. And our friend Jane Gaysford was living here in Grayton. She is an artist, the most talented person I've ever come across. A musician, a poet, a writer, a potter, sculptor, just a very, very talented lady. We met many, many years ago in the 80s. She made dragons for me. She made pottery for me in those days. And then she came to live here in Grayton. And over the years, obviously, she would be sending us photographs and writing to us. And we said eventually that if we ever managed to get out of Joburg, we would like to come and live in somewhere like this. And in fact, when it came to be that we wanted to get out of the city, we, uh, we came to Grayton. And uh, I must say, we uh, we love it. Uh, we don't regret it at all. It's it's um, it's really a delightful little village. Obviously, it has its problems, like all small places. Everybody knows everybody's business, really. Although I've got to say this about Grayton, you know, if you want to be social, you can be social, and people will welcome you because of that. If you don't want to be social, people will leave you alone. You know, so that's an absolute pleasure uh, for me. They don't force themselves on you. And um, they don't want you to sort of step out of your, you know, comfort area at all. They, they don't force you to do that. So that's great. But, I mean, the, the fact of a small village is that everybody knows what's going on, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's up to you to either become involved or not involved. 
But when I did first get down here, let me just tell you this story. Um, I was introduced to a gentleman whose name I actually now forget. But anyway, um, a few days later, uh, and this must have been just a few months after we had got here, I went down to one of the restaurants, the Oak and Vine, and there was this gentleman that I'd been introduced to. And he was sitting at a table with a couple of ladies and another guy. And he looked up and he said, oh, hi, Chris. He says, how does it feel being in a village where nobody really recognizes you? And, you know, I said to him, look, you know, in Johannesburg, it's much worse. I, you know, I never got recognized. It's a big city. Nobody knows you, you know. So uh, it's absolutely fine. It's sort of complete sort of water off a duck's back. And then suddenly I realized that the, one of the ladies who was sitting at his table was looking at me with a sort of very gimlet eye. And she looked at me, she says, who are you? Should I know you? And I said, well, probably not, madam. I mean, she was in her sort of 70s or 80s. But, you know, I've been on radio and my name is Chris Pryor. And she thought about that for a minute or two. And she finally said, never heard of you. (laughs) Which really put everything into perspective for me. You know, I mean, you know, you I mean, I was a celebrity in the 80s and I would have thought all of that had faded by now. Um, but in point of fact, people do still, even when I just open my mouth, you know, people recognize the voice more than the photograph or the, you know, what I look like. It's the voice that generally gives me away. But in truth, I shouldn't be recognized at all. I mean, that was years ago. That was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So um, I I definitely don't feel like a celebrity anymore. Mm. I feel that I'm... um, I've, 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 I've created a niche for myself mm. in this country and I'm known for that specific niche, you know, and that's fine. That's fine by me. Uh, what kind of things bring you the most pleasure now? I've got to say my wife and my dogs. I'm not a man who, like many men, they'll say, you know, they're happy to have time away from their spouses, that their spouses go away for a week or two. I don't like that. I don't like it when she's not in the in the home around me. Um, I, I don't know what it is. We have a very, very close uh, relationship, and I, I just I suffer when she's not here. Mm-hmm. So she brings me a lot of joy. She's um, She has the same sense. She understands my sense of humor, which not too many people do. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just, she understands me. So I just love being around her. I love my little, my little Boston Nina. Uh, she brings me an awful amount of joy. And then my music, you know, the music is, uh, is something that is very close to me. It doesn't matter that I actually work with it all the time. It's something, you know, I can't get sick of it. It's just, it's something that is deeply fulfilling and moving for me. And uh, if there's anything that I envy, it's the, it's good musicians. You know, I wish I'd been I wish I'd been a musician. Um, you know, you could, you're not supposed to have regrets in in your life, and I don't have regrets. I've done everything that I pretty much wanted to do, but I wish I'd had the talent to be a musician. Um, just to work to play music with other musicians without having to consult notes and look at pieces of paper. And so just to be able to play and jam with other musicians, I can't imagine anything nicer than that. Mm-hmm. So um, 
other than that, I mean, so I've done the sort of next best thing, which is like sucking other musicians dry of, you know, all their music and utilizing their music to keep me happy. I don't suffer fools gladly. I'm not a tolerant person. And, I, you know, that's something that I do need to try, you know, even at this late stage. I think I still need to try and work on, on that. I um, have very little time for stupidity or dogma. Um, um, I struggle with cruelty. Uh, I cannot see cruelty to animals without wanting to weep. Um, I feel very much more for animal kind than I do, I regrettably, for humankind. You know, the natural inclination for people when they see a snake is to kill it. I'm entirely opposed to that. <laughs> entirely. We've had snakes in this house. We call the snake catcher. He comes and he takes it away and he takes it up into the hills and lets it loose. And, and the way that cows and the horses and the dogs are treated in this part of the world doesn't impress me in any way you know um, thank god that there are people who have empathy for for animals who are prepared to adopt and look after and so you know those people have my fullest support yeah. and admiration yeah i'm sure it's a hard question but if you had to pick your top five favorite rock and roll bands or artists mm. I would say that um, Little Feet led by Lowell George in the early 70s they made four or five albums that were the peak of rock music as far as I'm concerned those five albums that Lowell George recorded with Little Feet those are the best thing that's come out of America. Um, and I, I really think they're, they're absolutely brilliant. Then, I mean, I, th I think I've already mentioned ZZ Top. The 70s albums that they made were uh, also wonderful. But there are great musicians around right now. And, I mean, to tie it down to just five of them, I would say Van Morrison, Taj Mahal, Steve Earle, Little Feet, ZZ Top. That's five. Mm -hmm. I'll say this, you know, anybody who says that rock and roll is dead, they're wrong. There are great musicians out there. There are great new musicians coming in all the fields, in all the fields of rock. In the and by, by that, I mean blues rock, country rock, um, roots rock, any kind of rock that you care to name. There are great musicians coming out who weren't known previously. There's one called Greta Van Fleet. Youngsters, three brothers, they're not even 20, 21, you know. They're youngsters, but I tell you what, they've got the essence of rock and roll. I would like to think that they're going to be able to create music that, you know, fulfills the promise that they've shown in their early stages. As I've said, so many of them have actually come up with one good album and then kind of lost it along the way. What, what is the essence of rock and roll? Because I, I was, I, and I'm asking this because I, I was looking at lists yesterday of like, you know, greatest rock and roll bands and I'm, you know, 100, top 100 or whatever. And I was going through and so many of the bands, I was 
I was thinking to myself, I was like, that that's not rock and roll. No. Yeah. This is not rock and roll. This sure. is not rock and roll. This is not rock and roll. I was like, mm. okay, so how are we defining rock and roll? Sure. Well, I mean, initially, uh, I think all of us, or I certainly tend to misuse the phrase rock and roll. Good song. <laughs> um, I mean, rock and roll generally for us was Elvis Presley and, um, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis and that kind of, that was rock and roll, what we really understood as rock and roll. But since then, it's been kind of bastardized, the, the phrase. And it now, you know, any rock band would be called a rock and roll band. And everybody would just understand that, mm-hmm. you know. But in fact, it's not factually correct. Right. The essence of rock and roll is rhythmic, intelligent, noisy. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily have to be noisy, but that certainly sometimes becomes part of it feeling music you know um, uh, it's it's got to be music that actually talks to one i don't want to hear a i don't need to hear a tune where the chorus becomes embedded in my brain and i go around singing the damn thing all the time i don't that's pop music right that's pop music and you, you know uh, pop music is created as i mentioned earlier on i think for the masses for whom music just isn't all that important, you know. It's peripheral to what they're doing in their lives. They may think it's important to them. I mean, all your teenagers listening to their pop songs, you know, they may think that it is important to them, but in point of fact, it isn't, you know. It's it's just something that is facile and kind of like the froth on top of a milkshake, you know. Mm. It just has no substance. Mm. And, I mean, I don't like to denigrate any artist, so I won't mention any of the pop musicians' names who didn't ever do anything for me. There are many, many, many of them. Even so-called rock bands, you know, always, I always found many of them who simply didn't appeal to me. Rock music generally isn't all that easy to assimilate. And in fact, the other night when I said to you, listen to my show, and I was listening to that particular show and I was thinking, oh, this poor lady. Now she's listening to this music, which is this hard rock. Oh, no. I mean, I thought it was great. Okay. Yeah. But, I, you know, it's just it occurred to me, gosh, you know, so maybe she shouldn't be listening to this. Because I understand that the music I play is very specialized. It's not easy to assimilate. It's it's not handed to you on a platter and you've got to, you know, you can you can just accept it because it's great. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to listen, man, before you understand exactly what's going on here. Sometimes you've got to really take very good note of everything that's going on in there to understand exactly what is happening. And, you know, that's what rock music provides you. It provides you with a forum to think. It gives you something to think about. I think the best thing that I have within me to do what I do in terms of music is I can tell the difference between good and bad. Okay. Everybody thinks they can do that. I know I can do that. I know it. I know what's good. I know what's good in my field. Okay. Not necessarily in any other field, but certainly within my field, I can tell you that this is going to be good. And it doesn't take me much longer than 10 seconds or 20 seconds to listen to a tune to say to you, this is good or this is bad. So that's just something that I have within me. 
and I think it's what's kept me going all these years because I have that ability and it's been unerring. I haven't it hasn't failed me. For the for the last question, what do you want your legacy to be? You know, truthfully, I don't really care whether I leave a legacy or not. But if people do care to remember me, I need to be, I would like to be remembered as a person who always played consistently good rock music on the radio. Um, I would like to think that I've done the, really the best I can, you know, for my listeners. And I've tried to maintain that level of professionalism and competence from day one to now. And uh, I would like to think that um, as long as I can carry on doing it, and I intend to do it as long as I can, um, before my brain completely fails. But it's something that uh, certainly uh, it, it keeps my, my brain active, you know. I'll tell you what, as long as there's good rock music around, I'm never going to be bored. Oh, Chris, I think you're definitely going to be remembered, whether you like it or not. I mean, I just met you, and I will never forget our conversation or your little Boston Terrier, Nina, who napped next to me for the entire interview. So I, along with thousands of other people will always know you as the rock professor. And my friend, you are just helping me prove my theory that Grayton might have the most fascinating people per capita of any small village in the world. I hope you enjoyed listening to the second half of this conversation. And again, be sure to get your weekly dose of rock and roll by tuning in to Chris Pryor's podcast. Simply Google The Rock Professor or Crips. 48.podomatic.com. That's K R I P S 48.p o d o m a t i c.com. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and follow at Podcast Cowgirl on Facebook and Instagram for photos and updates. See you next time. <laughs>